you're going to have an opportunity to be in a winning environment, get championship DNA that can serve you the rest of your life. Um, but it might not be about you being a first team all leaguer. It might not. I mean, we're going to have those guys. Um, but I think I would say our best guys, they continue to get better while they're here. So that's mm -hmm. the other thing is there are certain guys, there's a lot of good players out there, but if we're sensing that a guy um, might, might think he's doing us a favor by being here or that he's not going to work, um, you, you can make some mistakes when that guy is your best player mm -hmm. and, and you have them. So we've been fortunate. Like our best guys are the guys that are last to leave the gym. Uh, I mean, it's phenomenal. And it's like, it just, it, it raises the bar for everybody else. Um, and like I've mentioned the coaches before me, Nathan Davis, Mike Rhodes, two huge mentors of mine that I can continue to lean on guys that pour into me. Both those guys have talked to our teams. Um, and it's like, so you don't want to let the previous group down. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jackets family is. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. I am a speaker and trainer who helps teams and organizations build winning cultures. As a trainer, I have had the privilege of working with some of the best athletic programs in the world. As a keynote speaker, I have given two TEDx talks and I've spoken on stages in 36 states and counting and national conferences, Fortune 500 companies, and to Team USA. To learn how I can serve your team or organization, head on over to bobbyaudley.com. 50 Cups of Coffee is an idea that began with a TEDx talk in 2016 and has become a pillar of employee engagement at organizations, a tool for developing young professionals, a simply a powerful practice for connecting a team of players, and of course, a podcast. This podcast is a show where I have coffee and conversation with some of the best leaders and coaches in the world, and we talk about leadership, team culture, and the power of connection. My guest today has been a friend of mine for a decade. He's a fellow Salisbury Seagull. He's been a mentor to me and a wonderful colleague in the business of sports. He is the head coach for the Randolph-Macon College Yellow Jackets men's basketball team, who is currently the reigning number one team in Division Three basketball. They did not have an NCAA tournament this year due to COVID, and Randolph-Macon College ended the season ranked number one by D3Hoops.com. As always, before we get into the show, season two is dedicated to the late coach Ashley Riggs, a UNC Tar Heel national champion, captain under our opening guest for season two, Anson Dorrance, and a friend of the Audley family. Just three months ago, Ashley passed away after a long battle with cancer. In honor of Ashley, an annual award is being set up through the UNC Women's Soccer Program. This award will be presented annually to a player that demonstrates hard work, perseverance, and fight. Monies will also go to sponsoring high school teams and players who otherwise may not be able to afford to attend UNC Soccer Camp. Donations can be sent to Educational Foundation Women's Soccer, P.O. Box 2446, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, 27515. Checks can be made out to Educational Foundation, Women's Soccer, and be sure to put Ashley's name in the memo line. I've put all this information in the show notes for you as well. Now for today's episode, I want you to know why you need to listen to this coach today. As I've already noted, Josh Merkel's Randolph-Macon Yellow Jackets are currently the reigning number one men's basketball team in Division Three. In Josh's sixth season at the helm, his teams have increased their win total each season, going 55-6 and six over the past two seasons, including 30-2 and two in ODAC conference play. Coach Merkel has been ODAC Coach of the Year each of the past four seasons, 
four seasons in a row, ODAC Coach of the Year in a great Division Three basketball conference. And this season, Coach Merck was named the Glenn Robinson National Coach of the Year. This award is given to the individual voted the top coach in Division Three men's basketball. Merkel was an assistant coach at RMC during the 2010-2011 season under former head coach Nathan Davis, who is now the head coach at Bucknell. Now, in case you think Coach Merkel just inherited this great program at Randolph-Macon, first of all, you will hear that he experienced seasons of losses to start his tenure there. And I, seasons of losses. And I was with him for those early years, not only working with the team, but also going to games to, to watch and support the team. And in this tight knit small community of Ashland, Virginia, they care a lot about this Division Three men's basketball program that they're very proud of. And they got a lot of banners in the gym and they expect to put more banners in the gym. And so those early years, I remember sitting in the stands and you could hear the the fans were not pumped about early seasons of losing with a new coach when the previous coach had such great success and, and went on to coach Division One Patriot League at Bucknell and, and continue to have success there. So, you know, I, I can't emphasize enough. Yes, you look at Randolph-Macon and say, of course, Coach Merkel has had the success he's had. He, he, he has still had to build that on his own as his own program, as his own coach. Those years were not easy. We get into those years on this episode. And I love a line that Coach Merkel says where he says you have to, uh, why, he says it's so important to have guys you can lose with in order to build a winning program. It's so important to have guys you can lose with in order to have a winning program. And we talk about that in this, in this interview and it's a really important part of the interview for me. On top of that, before Randolph-Macon, Josh Merkel was the head coach at Salisbury University, both of our alma maters and how we met. And in his final season in 2015, he led that team to 21, a 21-8 record and a 14-4 CAC conference record. This was the fifth best record in the 86 years of the program and the first 20-win season since 1996-97 season. That Salisbury team set a school record with 14 CAC conference victories, and Coach Merkel was then named the CAC Coach of the Year, another Conference Coach of the Year award. The second-seeded Seagulls under Coach Merkel won the CAC championship in 2015, another championship for him, which was the first program title since 1997, and still only the second in program history. All of this to say, Coach Merkel knows how to build a winning culture. And you are about to discover exactly how he does it. And if you are a young professional or coach looking to reach the, the level of a Josh Merkel career someday, you are going to want to listen to his 50 Cups of Coffee story. It's a great one. Please enjoy my cup of coffee with Josh Merkel. How did I get into coaching? Uh, Kevin Sutton. So this goes back. Um, one of my heroes. Uh, we were just doing this exercise, and so Kevin Sutton is my high school. Yeah, the exercise you did the John Gordon exercise with your team, right? We, we did. Yeah, but, which is three straight years. What's the? Bobby. Tell us the exercise. Uh, hero highlight hardship honey. Okay, okay. Uh, the honey is the funniest part at the end. Um, what so is that, the honey? The honey is you know who, who they're dating, who they okay. might want to date. Uh, 
you know, their, their, their mindset, uh, behind dating. Yeah. And that's where you get some of the funny questions. Uh, you know, some guys will say there is no honey. And then someone will say, well, what about that girl? I saw you talking to, the other day? <laughs> um, you, you get, you get a lot of smiles and laughter going with that one. All right. But, I'm gonna make um, a note to bring that up later when we talk culture. So, all right. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Let, <laughs> let, Let's definitely come back to that. Cause, um, you know, I, I, I love talking about that, but Kevin Sutton is my, uh, so I grew up on a farm. Let, let's go back to growing up on a farm um, where uh, we raised, uh, we, we rented out the land for, for animals like uh, cattle and horses, but we didn't do anything with that. So I don't want you to think I was a farmer per se, but we did raise crops. And uh, so there's some work ethic involved with, we, uh, we raised our own and sold corn in the summer, like mm -hmm. selling by the dozen uh, on the side of the road. And so that, that was a great experience. Um, my dad was really, I'm the oldest of nine. So the leadership thing is something I think I was thrust into without ever realizing. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then I go to prospect hall and at the time, maybe three years before, um, there's this national powerhouse basketball program that's, that's being built. Stu Vetter comes in, Kevin Sutton is his assistant and is the head JV coach. And so my mom played basketball in Maryland. I love the game. I'm always shooting outside. Um, I wouldn't say I'm very good because I haven't played that much competitive basketball. Um, mm -hmm. I played like one day a week. And so anyways, we get to Prospect Hall. Now it's a nationally ranked high school program, 11 months of year, out of the year. It just taught me a lot about work ethic and my, my love for basketball even grew. So when it comes to how did I get into coaching, I still remember the exact moment. My first game as a freshman player on the freshman team was Kevin Sutton, um, my coach, being up there. It, it was um, the classroom, the pregame talk. And I just remember, like, I'm watching him and I'm like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a high school coach. I want to be the, the influencer that coaches for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was it. Um, so he was a great influence. Uh, I played for him, like I said, two years on the JV, then two years on the varsity, um, played for Stu Vetter there. And it was a phenomenal experience, a, a lot of growth there. It was, it was hard. It was a challenge. I didn't play my junior year in terms of minutes because it's a great program. was able to earn some uh, minutes my senior year, go on and play at Salisbury. Um, from Salisbury, I went back and coached at my alma mater, you know, doing what I always wanted to do. I got to coach with Bruce Kelly, and Bruce is phenomenal. He's now the head coach at Bullis. But, but he brought me back and um, learned so much working with him, working alongside him. And I did that for three years. And Bobby, I, I thought I would be a high school coach the rest of my days. Um, I was his, his assistant and the JV head coach. So I was even getting some head coaching experience. Were you looking to teach as well, or you just were just, just high school I, coach? I was. So I, did, I was a long-term sub at the public school the first year. And then the next year, I got into Prospect Hall to teach, where I was an alum. And I was teaching algebra. I was a finance major from Salisbury. So I'm teaching four sections of algebra, algebra one. Thank goodness, not geometry, because I'm not, not good at that. And I was teaching computer science uh, or computers, basically, not computer science, uh, but typing. Basically, I was teaching myself uh -huh. how to type in the class Yeah. and uh, nutrition science. That was my my course load. Um, it's a diverse was, course load. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but but it was it was hoops like 24 seven because I would I would, you know, coach the JVs. Then I would help with the varsity. My mom was the head women's coach at some point. My two sisters, Marta and Monica, who both went on to play in college, were on the team. And so it was like, well, I want to help that team a little bit too. So wherever I could, I would, I would help them out. Mm -hmm. um, 
I was doing some individual training and then again, private schools. So we didn't have as many restrictions. So I just love being in the gym. Um, did that for three years. Then the opportunity came up to go to West Virginia and be the uh, GA for John Beeline. So imagine, you know, I'm a division three player, but this opportunity did not just go D1, but go to high major and then go and, and work for one of the best in the business hall of famer, John Beeline. How did you get that connection? How did you, how did that opportunity come about? And that, that might be a, a story that that is a great connection. I might have did 50 cups of coffee story. Yeah. Um, I knew the assistant, the assistant, Jeff Neubauer, um, knew Bruce Kelly and he came and spoke at camp during the summer. And, and Jeff and I just sat down to uh, talk offense. I was trying to get some, some pointers for my offense, for my JV team. And then, so, Based on that, maybe that's a little foot in the door. And um, when they started looking, I was a name on the board, I guess. And I always joke with coach, I was like his 10th choice. And he'll correct me. He'll be like, Josh, you were my 15th choice. <laughs> <laughs> so coach is the best. But, you know, it's it's one of those things like it doesn't matter um, where you are on the board if you get it and make right. the most of your opportunity, um, continue to learn and uh give, give more than you, you do more than you're being paid, right? Uh, right. $3 work for $2 pay. Mm -hmm. uh, then good things will happen. Um, so then from West Virginia, we have a good year. We go to the elite eight and Jeff Neubauer gets the head job at Eastern Kentucky and he takes me with him. And so I'm, I'm a division one assistant for five years and learning from him, which was phenomenal. And some other great guys on the staff, Ted Hotel, the head coach at New Haven, Dale Wellman's the head coach at Nebraska Wesleyan, won a D3 national championship. Uh, David Boyden's a rapper. Anyway, just a phenomenal staff to be learning from in addition to the head coach. Uh, and then come back. I know it's a long-winded answer to your, your first no, question. Might as well just get it all out of the way. Yeah. Um, I was blessed to have the opportunity to work for Nathan Davis here at Randolph-Macon. My, my sister went here. My brother went here. Um, that, that might be another, another connection that I can get back to later. Yeah. But, um, I was uh, an assistant here for a year when the job at Salisbury opens up. Uh, I go there. I get to be the head coach of my alma mater there. So I did it in high school. I did it in college. I uh, was there for four years. And then when this opportunity opened back up, uh, that was a hard decision. Um, you know, do you go? Do you stay? But um, at the end, felt like it was the best move for, for us as a family. I was, I was married at the time. We had Mason was on the way, baby mm -hmm. on the way. And um, I guess the rest is history. We've now been here for, this is my sixth year here at Randolph Macon. Yeah. I remember on a personal note, um, you, I think you called me while you were driving and, and about, about the Randolph Macon job. Cause we were, I was living at Salisbury at the time. And, uh, and then I saw Morgan, your wife in, in the grocery store, like 10 minutes later. <laughs> and, uh, and yes, you, you baby on the way. And, uh, that was, a <laughs> that was a big move for you guys, but I, I, I think it was the right move. Uh, you're doing awesome stuff at, at Randolph Macon. It's an awesome community. My question in all of that is how, intentional work like you said you you wanted you started out wanting to coach high school that evolved into a, a ga position you know at the d1 level five years assistant at the d1 level and then head coach at the d3 level how intentional were you with every move or were you kind of just taking opportunities as they came and, and like you said doing the three dollar work for two dollar pay just just doing your best work and seeing where things happen or were you constantly thinking about where you wanted to land 
Well, that, that's a great question. And hopefully this answer will help somebody that's, that's listening rather than just being uh, me rambling uh, or, or telling a story. But I would say I was most intentional just about uh, being, being uh, bloom where you're planted, be where your feet are. That's something we say to our guys all the time, be mm -hmm. where your feet are. Um, so I was never looking for the next job or um, I, I don't even think I was good at networking, nor am I now in, in any way, shape or form. It was um, how do I do this job? You know, maybe maybe it's a D3 mentality. Maybe it's uh, growing up on the farm mentality. Maybe it's that I have really no skill or, or think of myself in that way and that hard work, you know, watching my dad and mom and, and their work ethic. It's like, you know, I, I have to prove myself every day. Um, I think that the SEALs might say earn your trident every day. Mm -hmm. And that, that's something I definitely try to even here, like I'm, I'm trying to uh, prove that I belong. And I, and I think that starts over every day. So most intentional, probably about my growth, how I can learn, how I can get better, how I can uh, be a better communicator, all those things. But when I look back, so if we go back to as a high school coach, I actually, it, it's funny, I'm a young head coach. And so the parents were, were pretty rough in high school. Um, and it was like, maybe I should look into college, uh, where I don't have to deal with this as much. Um, mm -hmm. and so that was one thing that they'd almost pushed me in that direction. And then it was like, well, you're young and you're single, there's no better time than to look into it. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Um, and then once you kind of get in that environment, I love the maturity, you know, you're coaching guys that are older, you know, that 18 to 23 range. Um, and it, you know, that's an awesome thing, you know, to be able to shape guys in that way. Um, and there's still a lot of influence you have on the, on the high school level too. But, um, so that happened there. And then at EKU, it was just, you know, grinding, learning, growing. Um, there was something that shaped me there because I, I've always wanted to be a head coach. I think, um, you know, I always want to be a head coach and it's really hard at any level, but it's certainly at the division one level for someone that played division three. And I started looking at it like, you know, I could be here for 20 years and you started to see some of your friends and examples of guys getting passed over or someone who was just phenomenal. Like, I think I always remember Georgia tech assistant who'd been in the business for 30 years, Georgia tech had just been to the national championship. And I think the best job he was being offered was like a bad D two job. I remember mm -hmm. that sticking with me. I'm um, saying I could be doing this for 25 years to maybe get a rough job. Um, and so, and then Marymount came open while I was at EKU and I remember it's in my league that I played in. I applied for the job, no callback. They interviewed three division three head coach, uh, assistant coaches. Mm -hmm. So it was like, man, I'm almost being, um, I don't even have a chance to get to, to apply, you know, to interview for this spot from where I am. So I started to think a little bit more about, and, and I looked at it like this. If I could get a chance to go back to Randolph-Macon, because it was an unconventional move to go from D1 to D3 voluntarily. I think if you look it up, there's very few guys that do that, you know, to, yeah. have to do it, all that stuff. But I felt like I've, I've learned a ton here, but I need to learn more about uh, running it, running a high level program at the Division three level where there's some different rules and things like that. And, and I did. I mean, Randolph-Macon runs it uh, at the highest level. You've got some great coaches, Hal Nunley. Mike Rhodes, who had, who had been here for 10 years, and then Nathan Davis. Like, it's an unbelievable culture and tradition. And I was learning a ton from the players and the staff when I came here for that year. We went 25 and five. The team had been to the final four the year before. Um, I mean, it's still one of the biggest years of, of my growth 
in, in how those players handled it, their commitment level, how mm. they worked out in the off season. Um, some things that I didn't necessarily see from my playing career and had I not been exposed to it, you know, a lot of us, we coach how we were coached or parent how we were parented, but you got to see a whole nother level and then tell those stories. And, and that's been huge. I mean, our success has a lot to do with all this, all the foundation that's been laid. You know, I, I don't know that I can take any credit for it. It's like the coaches and the players before us have, um, have helped to kind of create this pressure and this pressure is a privilege. This, this high expectation, this high standard has been set before us. Yeah. I love that. I've heard you say that before to your team, this, this pressure is a privilege and which sparks for me in that answer, what sparked for me, I wrote down here to ask you to talk about your own uh, uh, commitment to personal growth. Obviously our relationship grew out of that. Uh, and, 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 I think our relationship today is uh, we get reconnected when either of us will text the other and just say, what are you reading right now? And, uh, and it's always a good answer. So you, you're a guy that you read a ton. Um, you're intentional about what you're reading. You're, you're, you're underlining while you read, you listen to podcasts. Uh, what, what is kind of your approach to your own personal growth? Uh, what's your why behind? You don't have to have a why. Uh, I don't uh, necessarily, um, but but I'd love to just give you space to talk a little bit about that because that's just for for a guy like myself. Uh, you are unique in the sense of how committed you are to it uh, and how consistent it is for you. Yeah. Well, th thanks for saying that. And I echo that with you, man. Like, I, I wish I wish I had a podcast because you, you'd be one of my guests and I'd be picking your brain like crazy because you do a really good job. <laughs> Let's this make it happen. We always <laughs> connect on this topic. Um, I'll never forget, you know, I, it was instilled in us to read at a young age. Like everyone in my family loves to read. Um, we, we were limited to an hour of TV when we were young growing up. And so, you know, it, on a farm, there's only so much that you can do. So we, we were reading at a young age and and that, that's been a, a benefit. Um, and then the year after graduation, when I was a high school coach and living back at home, I mean, I was eating up books. And I remember saying to some people, like, I feel bad for the people that aren't reading because mm -hmm. I, I read like four John Wooden books. I mean, here's a mentor of mine that I've never met yet, but it was unbelievable. And I, I felt bad because it's like it, it opens a whole nother window into growth um, when you can apply it. Now, you know, obviously the words on the page. And, and sometimes, like, I have to make sure that I'm not just reading to read. I think that can happen to all of us. Uh, that's where the underlining comes in. Mm -hmm. And then even to go back to it. So this is a cool thing. But, like, one of my players, um, Q, okay, he's a junior. And uh, he's reading 11 Rings by Phil Jackson. Mm, and this is a book one. that I read 10 years ago. Yeah. And I, but I've got my notes. I've got my underline. So I'm, I'm able to read through it with them now. And I was saying, like, hey, man, what do you, what do you think about – what Phil Jackson says about Derek Fisher. How does it apply to you? Um, so it's just, it's cool because I was able to maybe in 10 minutes get to that passage. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it made me think of Q, Phil Jackson talking about Derek Fisher um, in that his maturity as a leader, that he wasn't like the fastest guy, but he was strong and he could make others better. And uh, so it's a cool way to be able, you know, relationships and connecting with your players and that individual, like, I think um, confidence is so key. But I think that that helped our growth. Anyways, I'm probably getting off tangent. Well, I, I'm going to take that tangent for a second, though, because yeah. you you have a lot of I will say this too: your players also are readers and and are reflective. And and, you know, that's one example. I could list a bunch of others with you and your players. 
do you do you recruit players that that are that are focused on personal growth or do you think that they feed off of you and they know that that's how they can relate to you and i i could talk about this all day um no i think if we if we so first of all it's so hard to get good players and if i limit right um, if i if i start making like these little uh limits that say hey if he's not a big reader we're not going to recruit him I know I'm going to be saying no to someone that, that's going to be a stud that'll kick our butt. Okay. And so, all right. So you want to draw the widest net that you can and then, and then filter it out for other things. We certainly have our kind of guys, you know, we're big on certain things, but the reading piece, I mean, I can go back to some of our best players, like, you know, Buzz was not a reader, but Buzz is a great example. Um, I said that is a good example because you telling me he's not a reader is, is a shock to me. So this is a good example. It's a shock. And, and Lorenzo Woods, our senior, like for the first two years, he, he was, and, and I mean, I'm constantly like you, so you start with articles, you know, you start with a player tribune article or like a, like a quote or a story, a page, and you know, the, they'll start to read that stuff. So like but with buzz, you would send, like when he was a freshman, you send him an article and say, I want you to read this. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, how did he, I, how did he initially respond to that as a freshman? But most guys are really good with that. Yeah. Most guys are really good. Um, and I do some book notes too, which is six pages, which I would say, I bring that up because not everybody's good with that. Like I'll give you a per like Corey Turner is an absolute stud. He, he will be ultra successful. Maybe, maybe he'll donate a hundred million back to the program someday, <laughs> but I could brag on this guy all day. He just graduated last year. You remember KT yep. and um, you know, successful on the court. Here's a guy that after the ODAC championship, okay. Of his, of his senior year, he is on the way home. He, he's like reading Jim Rohn's 12 Pillars of Success. Everyone else is still celebrating and enjoying. And KT did that, but he's also like, I, I just, I love this book, coach. I, right. I wanna, it's like blows me away. But, but so where's that important? Corey Turner really connected with Lorenzo Woods. Lorenzo sees KT like reading book after book. He's always reading something. And then that plants the seed. So now Lorenzo is a junior like I say, hey, man, Man's Search for Meaning would be an awesome book for you to start. Well, now, now Zoe is reading Barack Obama's book, which is like a 500-pager. The new and one? Like it, yeah, yeah, that thing's, that thing's yeah, yeah that, that's and, a big and, book. His, like, I mean, now he's, he's, a, he's a full-time reader. Like, he's always going to be reading something. Like, to me, that, that's so awesome. And then we'll go to Buzz, who he just caught the bug somewhere along the line. You know, he's, mm. he needs to be doing something. Yeah. So the pandemic certainly like can't get in the gym as much. Um, but that, and then that kid, like whatever he's doing, he's going to do it at like the highest level. So he's like reading three books at a time. He's reading a book with teammates. Mm -hmm. um, it's yeah, it's, it's been a, a process. And uh, that's one of the more things that I'm super proud of when I hear about guys getting yeah. excited about the book. Phil Jackson used to do that, you know, give a guy a book over the summer. Um, We'll do it again this summer. Like sometimes I've done the team book thing, but that can feel a little forced. Mm -hmm. um, I think it, I think it's really impactful when you can do like an individual book, recommend an individual book for each guy over the summer. I agree with that. Every team is different. So I never want to say yeah. this is what you need to do with your team. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, 
Yeah, I remember reading that Phil, and they talked about it in the the Last Dance documentary too. How Phil Jackson would put, like be specific about a book that he gives to a player, and and uh, I think that's so much more meaningful. And and also, there's obviously some players that that don't end up reading it, and and then it can be a personal conversation with the coach and the player instead of a whole team thing. You weren't involved in the team book, so I think there's a lot of benefits to to keeping it personal. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so anyway, so. I guess I, like going back because we both got on the tangent, which is fine. But uh, uh, with your own, you know, personal growth, um, how do you see? Because I know a lot of what you read and are implementing is not even related to coaching; it's just personal growth. How do you view that in terms of coaching? Like your commitment to personal growth, your commitment to improving just who you are, whether it's your 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 own mental toughness, whether it's health, wellness, uh, staying fit. Like, is that just who you are? And it, like, is that also you know being a leader of young men as a basketball coach? Is that part of setting an example? I don't want to lead the question too much with answers, but I also know you well enough. Like, I want you to talk a little bit about kind of how you live your own life and how that's also impacted how you are as a coach. Well, man, it's like, even in that question, you said like four, four things I could answer and they're yeah. all, uh, yeah. They're I don't know there. if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I can, I, I, I can go on a tangent <laughs> no, with my own questions. <laughs> I, I, I love it. Um, I, I'll say that some of it too. Uh, and this is a reminder is like, it's like when I'm at my best, this is what I'm doing because certainly I'm not always doing these things, you know, but maybe when I'm at my best, um, th- this is what I'm doing. So the reading, like the quiet, uh, I think they, they talk about having like four doctors, um, movement, happiness, diet, and quiet. Mm. And, and the quiet could come in a lot of ways that, you know, people have the meditation, prayer, uh, journaling. So I would say all of that, like my, my morning hour, uh, well, it's um right now it's a 455 wake up which this is at my best um wasn't always quite that early but that's the time you know before everybody else is waking up or the kids are waking up mason's waking up about 7 15 now <laughs> so i basically get from five to seven where i'm reading journaling um that's just my time and that quiet is, is good and, and on the days where i don't get it like i was recruiting the other day i get back at 1 a.m and then uh you know wake up a little bit later and the, the kids are up um, you know, I always feel like I'm a little rushed and, and I haven't, you know, I, I need to get back to that. Um, so anyways, uh, the other thing, Bobby, is if you took a, if you had a pen and you drew a line down the, let's say you take a piece of paper, you draw a line down the middle, uh, vertically and horizontally, and you got four quadrants. And this is an exercise we do with our team. And it's a good, like, I keep coming back to this. I'll draw the four quadrants and then I'll put physical. If you're writing it in, you put physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. And it's kind of like, you know, the wheels on a car. If one of those is flat, then you're not going to be thriving or going at the speed that you want to go. And so physically, when you talk about exercise, and again, this is when I'm at my best. So sometimes the thing that goes in season is my workouts. It's like, no, I'm going to, it's my family and it's the film and it's the team and I'm going to do these things. And if I got time for a workout, I'll get it in. Pandemic actually has been good where I've been more regimented and, um, so I haven't missed the workout here. We got three months going, five days a week, uh, lifting Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and running Tuesday, Thursday. So that's been yeah, good. Yeah. Um, I've got some accountability partners too. If that ever helps, you know, uh, there's two two other guys and I are uh, we're gonna be you know doing a, a challenge, running a race, we'll say, in, in October. 
And so being accountable to someone else, knowing that next time I talk to those guys, I, I better not be missing workouts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's huge. I think that's one great thing that comes from teams and connected teams is um, when they're holding each other accountable and they don't want to let each other down. We know this. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, so the mental piece is just that quiet, that, that journaling, that reflection, that reading. Because um, a lot of times I'm getting some ideas there for how to connect with, with the guys. And, I, and I'll say this too, Bobby, last year, I took a different approach. Um, but in season, it was like, I don't want to be reading. I just want to be focusing. I, I don't want outside inputs even to take me off maybe this um, where we are. And, and at that season, it was probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there can be a rhythm towards that growth and towards reading and towards a lot of things. Mm-hmm. What were the, can you repeat again, the four doctors? Yeah, it's diet, quiet, movement, and happiness. Where'd you learn that? That's a man, Paul Check, uh, C-H-E-K. He's a bit crazy. I'll say that off the, off the bat. Um, but uh, he's, he's pretty uh, – I've got one of his books, and he's got a podcast out. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, that's something that resonated with me. That's good. I love that. Um, so that bleeds into, and you, we've already kind of talked a little bit about this, but, um, how you run your team. I, I've been wanting to, you've been on my list of podcast guests for the last two years since I start, well, a year, I guess, year and a half since I started this. And what finally sparked it to say, let's do it now was you and I talking, was it yesterday? And, uh, and, and just, you know, the things that you do with your team, whether it's the, the hero highlight, you know, activity that John Gordon has or, or any other number of things, you know, giving a book to a player uh, is, is really, really good next level stuff. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how you approach, I guess, right off the bat, let's start with this. What, why is team culture important to you developing that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I'm glad you kind of reminded me because, you know, you and I, um, our relationship goes back almost a decade mm-hmm. and it's like you and I are just having a conversation. I forget that other people are going to be listening to this, but, um, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but so why, and, and some people like culture has become such a buzzword, as you know, mm-hmm. that, um, even, even one of my mentors, he, he just hates that word. And, and so really it's like, I think Saban uses the word environment. Yeah. Um, I like that. Yeah. It's, 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 it's behaviors. All, all we're talking about is we're trying to build a system of behaviors in our men that will carry them in their time here, but also things that they can lean on when they leave here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's, it's fun to model that. I mean, uh, shoot, Ron Sires is a guy that, you know, and mm-hmm. Salisbury connection. He's, he's been a huge mentor for me. Uh, I, I absolutely love that guy, man. He's a guy we got to get on the podcast. Too, yeah. Yeah. Way. No, you've mentioned that before. We got to get Yeah. We'll do it this but year. He, uh, he's just so good. So leadership challenge. I took his master's class when I was at Salisbury. Um, there's a book called the leadership challenge by Kutz and Posner. Yeah. And, and we've had our guys like um, read the book notes on that. We've had the guys go through the testing on that. And, and it comes down to those five practices, you know, model the way, inspire a shared vision, challenge the process, encourage others to act and, or enable others to act and encourage the heart. Um, so there's a whole, you know, the science and the research behind that. But what's it, what, you know, I bring all that up is having a language for how you talk about your leadership and your standards and your behaviors is huge. Um, just like, like any program, it's, it's the language that you have around it. 
because if you and I don't speak the same language, it's going to be hard for us to go get a cup of coffee and actually get anything done. You know, mm -hmm. uh, we will be limited. Right. And, but when we speak the same language, man, we can get a lot of stuff accomplished and talk about a lot of ideas and see where things can go. And I think our language, and this is something that I learned from Coach Beeline too, um, he's phenomenal at naming everything, you know, not only on the court, but I think off the court. And you think about the great leaders, coaches, um, they have themes, they have things that they say to all blacks, you know, whether it's iron sharpens iron, uh, we say truth over harmony a ton, mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Truth over harmony, talk about that. Oh, truth over harmony. And, and a lot of times, like some of this stuff, I forget where we get it. So, I, you know, I apologize if like none of these are original ideas. Yeah, that's all right. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm on the, the side of the industry, <clears throat> you know, the, the content creation side, you know, people writing books and telling speeches and doing podcasts. And I, I kind of laugh. me and, you know, a couple of colleagues on, in this industry will always laugh when we see someone will literally, you'll see like a, 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 you know, a shirt that says trust the process and under it, it'll say their name. And it's like, come on, you didn't come up with that phrase. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. Right. So, um, so yeah, well, truth over, truth over harmony is one of the favorites. And, it, and what it means is if you love somebody, you care about somebody, you're going to challenge the process and you're going to tell them the truth or your truth, at least. Um, and that shows up everywhere on the court. If someone's has some behaviors that, uh, are detracting from his personal development, growth, mm -hmm. um, whatever that is. But on the court, you know, if you want harmony, then it means you're not going to challenge the process. If a guy turns it over again and again, if a guy's giving up a layup again and again, and he's not playing to a standard, and you accept that, um, if you're if you're going to accept that and not say anything because you don't want to hurt his feelings, then we're just not going to be very good because mm -hmm. you can't win with just one, two good players. Like, yeah. and the ball finds the weak defender, so we say like. We've got to have like the peer accountability. Uh, to me, if you came in our gym, and I always take pride in this, but uh, guys will come in, they'll watch our practice, and they'll say, man, your guys really talk to each other a ton. And it's like, as long as my guys address it, that, that gives me a chance to just step back and shut my mouth. Mm -hmm. uh, and when they're holding each other accountable, there, there's, no better, uh, there, there's no better driver for success than that peer accountability. They don't want to let each other down. Right. They, they don't mind letting me down sometimes, you know, whatever, yeah. coach, you know, coach yeah. is 40 or coach has this unfair or coach doesn't like me, but when it's coming from your teammates. And so we've done a lot of things, I think, Bobby, that first of all, build trust. Okay. Because telling the truth without trust is going to lead it. Like it's not going to be accepted mm. and then vice versa, you know, without truth, there can't be trust because you're always just telling them what they want to hear. Right. Um, so then, then if I got to the, the hero highlight hardship, honey, we call it maybe 30 for 30 guy sits in a chair. We, we, we basically explain it to everybody that we want them to um, prepare for this. We want them to go as deep as they can. We want them to be vulnerable. We want them to really tell us who they are in this story. Talk about a hero in their life and why they're their hero. Talk about the highlight in their life and why that is. And um, you get the picture. The hardship is one where, so we've done it now for three years. And I think this is where the, the magic can happen is that I thought we'd, we'd do it maybe one year and, and you do it every four years, right? So you don't overdo it. But, but this year, guys were like, coach, we got a lot of new guys. Um, and it wasn't just buzz that came to me, but it's like, we, we got to do the, the hero highlight hardship. We got to do that. And it was like, okay, yeah, we got to do it. 
Mm -hmm. I just got to figure out one. So it's, it is an investment because it's 30 minutes, basically, maybe 20. Um, so we've basically worked it in, in place of a film session. You know, there'll be some sacrifice. There'll be some things you give up or, or you watch those 10 clips right after. But we say, hey, this is important. And so if we're going to invest time in it, we want you guys to do it well. And uh, man, our, our seniors, they've led the way. Now, you know how you say, hey, who wants to volunteer to go first? And nobody wants to do it. Yeah. And then you got to pick people. I mean, I've had like eight guys volunteer. It's like, who wants to go next? And all the older guys are like, I want to tell my story. Mm -hmm. um, it's been awesome. I mean, tears have been shed. Guys have gone really deep. And it's allowed that now the freshmen are like, you're almost competing to find your biggest hardship because you can't be shallow in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it definitely, it definitely leads the way. Anytime you're doing an activity where you're hoping for guys to get deep, um, the first few set the tone, uh, especially if they're the older players. Um, and you'll see if you pay attention, the freshmen uh, and even sophomores, you might see them start to get uncomfortable even listening to it. And it's not that it's uncomfortable to listen to, but now they know, man, I got to go there. I, I, I got to do that when I get up. And I love how you brought up the time investment too, because that is the number one thing I hear from coaches for not doing this sort of activity is, well, we just don't have time. And, and heck, I, you know, I coach middle school and high school lacrosse and I see it with COVID. We're looking at our season, hopefully coming up and we're saying, okay, when we get to start, we got six practices before our first game. And so if you take even a half a practice to do call it team building. Um, that's a lot of time. And so you're weighing the decision to say, well, this is, this is needed though. This is as important, if not more important than putting in the man up, man down defense, you know? Uh, so you, you, you find that time. And, and the fact that you got your players asking you to do it as well, uh, means that they, they benefit from it or, or, or value it is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Bought into it. What, um, so, so you do that. Uh, what do you do? Cause I know you've had this um, and you don't got to name names, but if you have a particular player who isn't fitting the, the culture mm -hmm. um, and how, how do you handle, how do you, how do you go about that entire process? Right. You got a player who maybe is a good athlete, but they're just not vibing with the rest of the team you got this hero highlight hardship honey activity and and you you run into a guy who doesn't want to do it or, mm -hmm. or whatever it might be how do you handle that yeah um well it's like the, the four stages of learning which you you're familiar you know it's like that you get a lot of so we have seven freshmen this year you know eight new guys one transferred in and so we we've certainly had to deal with this issue and um it's uh i think as i've gotten older i've gotten a little more patient um I probably didn't even handle some of those situations as well early. I was, I was impatiently urgent with things. Mm -hmm. um, so allowing guys a little more uh, room for, to grow because we already know that by failing is, is when, like I've learned more from my big mistakes than a hundred successes, mm -hmm. but sometimes we forget that uh, as coaches. And so I think knowing like, I almost want some things to, to go wrong for those young guys because that's gonna it's gonna make them even stronger when they receive it and own it and handle it the right way. Like we, we like to say, the best day of your life is the day you take extreme ownership, um, and that that is so true. Like when you really own it, and so getting them to to own those mistakes is huge. Um, I think creating an environment where it's it's safe to to make a mistake. Right? Culture code talks about this. Mm -hmm. um, having that like. Hey, I'm not going to get kicked off the team for this, 
but but it's going to be addressed. All right. Um, we we had some situation this this season where where a guy screwed up off the court, and and the older guys were all over him for it. But it was also like they're hugging him after. It's like, hey man, we love you. That's why we're telling you this, and this better not happen again. And and I think that's going to be a huge learning and growth opportunity, not just for him, but for the other freshmen. Um, so again, going back to the four stages, it's like you know these guys don't know what they don't know. So you got to help them get to stage two where they start to know what they don't know. But now, now you got to put that effort and skill uh, and you got to do the work. And now you're, you're like, you're in, going into the pit, you know, in the pit is where you do the work, you learn about yourself and you fight to get out of the pit, you build skill and you're, you're upset and you're not playing um, and things aren't going great for you. But then what, what happens is you, you hit that stage three um, and you start to, you know, consciously build some of that skill because you've put in the reps and you've taken ownership and, um, and then hopefully players get to that stage four or even as a staff, you know, I'm, I'm striving and driving to get to that stage four where, you know, maybe there's some things that we don't even know that we're doing that are helping guys um, mm. off the court. On How do you, you've gotten to the, I mean, a lot of the stories you tell too, I, I wrote this down earlier, so I'm glad you reminded me of this. Um, you have a very player led team and, and, you know, even from the accountability to uh, uh, if a player's like my, your answer to this was the players coming to that individual and putting their arms around him and saying, get your act together and we're here for you. Um, you know, that, that kind of, uh, what do you, would you call it? Truthful, or, or, or truth, truth, over, truth harmony. over harmony, you know, all this kind of stuff. So how do you create that player led culture? I mean, you came, you came in, maybe it's even more of a specific answer of when you first got to Randolph Macon as a first year, second year, third year coach, you get the opportunity to, you're, you're building off of an incredible foundation and a, and a culture that exists in and of itself. Like Randolph Macon basketball has a culture outside of Josh Merkel. And so you're taking that on and then you're also bringing in to create a player led team. How did you go about doing that so successfully? Because it is success. I mean, you, you've gotten there with this team. Yes. Uh, well, it, um, it took a lot of losing. <laughs> like, and I don't think, uh, and I'll tell anybody that listens, I mean, I did not do a good job uh, year one. And that's not even to say like I figured it out by year two. And that's not to say that we figured it out yet. I think um, the right guys, Tony Bennett talked about having guys he could lose with. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did have, we've had a number of guys that, that we can lose with um, just high character, great family workers, winners that, that stuck with it. You know, I think about that, the, the freshmen that were here when I came in, Grayson Medulla, Daryl Williams, John Noel, Luke Neely, Montice, like those guys, man, like, you know, it took us four years, Bobby. And you know this, cause you came mm-hmm. in, you worked with our team. Um, we, we just, I, I knew the standard. I knew where we wanted to get to and knew the gaps that we were trying to close and and knew that I needed help, you know? So, so your voice was another one. Like when we look back, there was a lot of people that we were trying to get to just touch on the guys because mm-hmm. it's kind of like, how did, how did you win it? How do you win a game? Well, there's a hundred things that go into it. How do you build your culture? Well, there's a hundred things that go into it. You can't even pinpoint one. Um, it was a lot of, shoot, the fact that we lost for three years and didn't make the uh, the NCAA tournament at a place where you're expected to, you know, not just go, but advance. Um, not only that, Bobby, but we did not win a game in the ODAC tournament. 
we did not win a game my first three years. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I still remember going to our friends of basketball dinner, 150 uh, alums and donors and people that just love this place and love our program and, and reading extreme ownership and just saying, you know what, all of this is on me. All of this is on me. Um, but I need my guys to help me fix and, and move forward. But just getting up there and saying, going through it, like we were the number two seed and we lost. We were number one seed and we lost. And, and these guys up here that are still with me, um, shoot, man, I'm, I'm going to get emotional talking about it. Mm-hmm. Like the, these guys, uh, wait and see what happens this year, basically. Um, and, and that was the year that went 27 and three. And uh, we did not win the ODAC tournament. But we won a couple of games. We made the NCAA tournament. We were making a deep run and ended up losing to Swarthmore, who played in the national championship game. And, um, and that was despite some injuries. But like then it was like, man, that group was reap the benefits of all the losing and learning and failing. Uh, and they just had this drive and, and this connection to each other where they just didn't want to let each other down. And they just had to win. Like it, it was just um, so I don't I don't want to, you know, have three more bad years to get back to a phenomenal <laughs> year or. But but when you think about some great teams, I think um, one of your podcasts, Joe Segola, talked about it where um, there can be some slippage. You know, mm-hmm. when you take things for granted, uh, Villanova, Jay Wright, uh, his book, Attitude, uh, we stole that core value from him. You know, four years ago, we only had three. Now we have four. Attitude is the fourth. And it, it was because it was lacking in our program. Our mistake response was not at the highest level. And we need to talk about it and train it. And um, we need to make sure that there's no slippage that we keep talking about these things because Jay Wright talked about, you know, because they had success, they brought in some better guys. Um, but then there was some slippage um, and then they went on to win a couple national championships. And um, anyways, man, I'm giving you some long winded answers. I hope someone can, can gain something from that's uh, great. No, no, no. Don't, don't uh, self doubt yourself with the answer. But so what, if, if I'm a coach listening and, and I hear you say, you know, and I, like you said, I was with you during those early years when, when you weren't having the, the success that Randolph Macon as a, as a program expects. And, and so what is it like as a coach to, to stay committed to your process, to your belief about how you should be coaching and how you should be recruiting? Um, how did you, you know, keep yourself focused on that? Cause it's not like you were getting blown out. You weren't having terrible years, but you weren't having the success that Randolph Megan expects and, and, and you were confident you get there. So what, or were you not like, what, what was your no, process no. like during well, those years? No, I mean, yeah, no, we weren't having terrible years, but that was, that was part of the issue is we were having great regular seasons. I mean, we won the regular season two of those years that we yeah, did. I remember one game, game, was it last season or two seasons ago where in the ODAC, like it was, you were up by a ton and then just, just like the lead evaporated and evaporated is the right word. Like, it wasn't like you guys blew the lead it evaporated. Like it just, and, and yeah, as a coach, that well, we can, can be, say we blew it. I mean, we were up, <laughs> I'll let you say it. We but. were up six, 16 in the second half. And, yeah. and like, it's like, how did that happen? Like, how did that just, um, but I'll tell you what, like, well, I want to answer your question. I will tell you, I, I make myself I made myself watch that game over and over and over again because I wanted to sit in the pain. I did the same thing when we lost to Swarthmore. I've watched those games 10 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and hopefully it, it's made me a little bit better as a coach um, and, and driven. But I guess to, to get back to that question, um, well, go back to the gist of that question. What, 
Tell me so the gist of the question is if, if how, what did you, as a coach, how do you stay committed to your process yeah. during those years? Yeah. Well, here's, here's what I would, if I could tell myself something in year one, if I could go back and maybe this would help someone, it would be absolutely tune out the outside noise. Cause I felt the pressure. And then when we hit, let's say, let's say it's rock bottom for me. We lose again in the first round as the number one seed. And it was like being that low helped me cut all of the outside noise out. I, I, I knew that we had a group that would run through a wall, I think, for our staff and for each other. So it's, it's like that bamboo story of like, mm -hmm. I knew our roots were strong and deep and those guys believed. We still needed to make some, some adjustments, obviously, and, and keep getting better, make some tactical, technical adjustments. Uh, like one small thing is like one of those seniors, Grayson, coming in in the summer after his junior year saying, Coach, what about a zone? Now, we were a good man-to-man, -man, but I knew that would have helped him. And it was like just having guys that feel empowered, like they can come into you and, and bring suggestions and advice. And I'm like, I'm thinking the same thing, G, but you make sure that our guys are, are bought in. We won't call it a zone, but we'll, you know, this, this is what we'll do. And, and that was, that was helpful for us. Like it, it helped us win some games that following year. Um, so I think that would be one is tuning out the outside noise, um, making it all about relationships, making it all about our, our guys. That doesn't mean being soft. I mean, I think we challenge the process all the time. I think we hold guys to a standard, but also um, truth over harmony, making sure that they're holding each other to the standard. And, and one thing is, you know, Buzz came, come in here, Buzz came in and, and he challenged some older guys too. And so we had this great marriage. We had this, you know, I, I remember telling our seniors like, hey, he has a Kobe mentality. He literally mm -hmm. has a Mamba mentality and that's going to piss people off. It's going to upset, it's going to challenge. Um, but that's a gift. Like not every team has that. And so let's channel it and let's have some grace for it and let's figure out how we can use this for our benefit. So, um, you know, when I look back, all our success is about, the, about the players and, and how they've, um, how they've kind of dug deep and found the best in themselves, uh, and been open to coaching. Um, and another cool story, like, so year five, last year, last year we win the odak championship we finally bobby get to cut down the net <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, win the regular season cut down the net but we don't do it without kent kilgrove and kent was a senior and he's only playing well he played 12 minutes a game i say only like he was a huge part of our our you know 28 and 2 team last season um but he hasn't started a game in his whole career here um the june his junior year i mean we had a truth over harmony meeting where I think he contemplated leaving, you know, mm -hmm. because um, he was thinking some guys graduated and, you know, maybe this is my big chance. And I just said, hey, you know, it may not happen that way and you have to be comfortable. And this is what we need from you. We talked about maybe specifics. Uh, and that guy, like after having a tough meeting and maybe being upset, like I remember his text or the next talk that we had was, coach, whatever we need to do to win, I'm in. And it was like, man. And then I later found out like, he had been coached. He had been coached by a mentor of his that's a, also a college coach that had given him some great wisdom. So here he tapped into some wisdom. Um, I go back to leading up to that tournament game, Kent was unbelievable in practice, not, not just physically, but mentally he was, and emotionally he was locked in. Everyone fed off his energy. And then we're down 10 in the semis to Roanoke, and Kent is saying, we are not going to lose this effing game. I mean, he said it three times. I think refs were ready to tee him up. It's in a timeout. He's loud as can be. 
And we fed off that. I mean, we're down 10 with six minutes to go. Um, there, there's no doubt in my mind, you know, we do something that's hard to do. You know, we've done it seven times here at Randolph Megan is cut down that net. But we don't do it without Kent Kilgrove sticking it out here. Um, and I'll, I'll forever brag on, the, on that guy. I appreciate the opportunity to brag about him yeah. uh, getting it done. And there's so many stories like that. And yet people might look at, you know, hopefully Kent will never look at his career, but it's like, you know, his, his career is unbelievable because of that. And how, think about how that impacts some other guys in, in his sacrifice and his story and how that impacts young guys to see what he went through yeah. and uh, rose above. No, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm, I'm really glad you, you told Kent's story because, you know, my first experience with your team, um, I had no idea. I've told you this before. I had no idea. And I never know. I don't look at the roster. I don't know what year they are. I don't know who's the captain. I don't know who plays more. And, um, and, but you can kind of tell as you work with a team who the leaders are and blah, blah, blah. And I, mean, I walked out of the room with a few confusions. I thought Buzz was a senior, if not like a fifth or sixth year senior. <laughs> I think he was a freshman or a sophomore at the time. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and I would have, I would have pegged, um, Kent as a, as a, like a, a starter just because of his, his attitude in the, in the training. And, and so, and, I, and then I know, you know, some, like you said, some of those tough conversations about uh, playing time and if he's going to stick around or not, but then to watch how his career wrapped up, it was just a culmination of a guy who, who was hungry, who never backed down and who committed to your team. And I share that to say it's about Kent, but it's also about your team. Everybody shows up. Uh, is there to get better, is there to grow, is there to play, is there to practice. You get the sense that any of them could be ready to come off the bench at any minute. And, and that is, that's powerful. Yes, it's basketball where you're only working with 15 to 20 kids. Uh, but at the same time, I think any sport needs to have that mentality of we don't have a practice squad and a non-practice squad. We don't have a, I was talking to the Texas A&M women's soccer coach yesterday, two days ago for the podcast. And he was saying they don't, they, they only keep a, a team large enough that they can travel with. Some teams have a, a, a practice team at home that's too big to travel with. And so now you're leaving people at home. And it's like, that's not, I'm not putting down. I mean, I guess I am, but I'll let him, him be that for teams that carry those large rosters. But it's like, there is a disconnect there in your team. The fact that Kent was ready to show up at a part of your season when, when you needed it um, because he's been ready for four years to do that. Um, and that's just, that was, it was great to watch and it's a great story to tell here. Um, talk about this sparked it for me and tell me, uh, do you have like a, what's your schedule? Do you have like a hard end time? We got to wrap this up by. No, we got a five o'clock team zoom. Not that we'll talk that long, but. Uh, but okay. Don't, don't test me. Uh, I could. <laughs> uh, um, no, that's good to know. Uh, cause I got two more questions and then the final 50 cups question I want to ask. So, uh, this question is, um, talk about how you connect with your players. I know you're very intentional about that. You have, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, you listen to Joe's podcast. I mean, he's got these so many opportunities where players are popping in the office, where he's sitting down to talk to them. You have intentional team meetings. They're more than just basketball. Um, so talk about your process for staying connected and in constant conversation with your players. Yeah. And, and I'm going to steal from, from Joe, cause I thought that was awesome. Like those five minutes, um, you know, making sure like you kind of get it on the schedule. Mm -hmm. um, we we've done a ton. So with freshmen, I meet with every freshman um, once a week, every Monday, and we talk academics. Mm -hmm. um, and, and obviously it, it shifts into other things. 
but that that's the whole first semester every Monday we're going to build this foundation and then as needed from there. Um, so I think that that does help to build that connection and that trust and um, the consistency of it is huge with the freshmen. Um, but I, I do I like I'm always looking I'm searching for you know ways to get better with it because I think of Lorenzo Woods all right senior um, and he and I are as, as close or connected as you can get um, from uh, from a player coach standpoint where there's a lot of trust and I know he'll tell me the truth at any point um, but it wasn't always like that you know and he was kind of a quiet leader and you know while Buzz would come into the office just about every day um, Zoe would never come in and it's like how do we get um, now now he does a bunch but but there were two or three years where it was only if we asked. And so I'm, I'm trying to find out, you know, how can we be more intentional about that? Like at Salisbury, we had the ball rack in the office. So you had to come in. Like I knew who was getting in. Um, and also there's some downside to that because you're trying to get some deep work done, but you got guys coming in all the time. <laughs> um, you know, so you got to be careful that, that it's not always a, a shallow meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and asking better questions too. I think better questions get better answers. Um, so that that's something that we're really trying to, to work on and emphasize. Like even for the Hero Highlight Hardship, I, so the, after the first couple, what I'm noticing is the veterans are asking all the questions and our seven freshmen aren't saying a word. And so now it's like, so a field thing sometimes. All right, hey, Lance, what's your question? And hey, freshman, everybody make sure you have a question ready because I'm going to call on you. And so, you know, I really only call maybe on one but now they're all thinking through what's the best question that I can ask. I better have something ready. Um, I would say, so there's a, there's a lot of feel to it, Bobby. It's like, who, who needs what can we, can we have the right message at the right time? Um, I would say we love to, to sweat with our guys. We love to, to be around as much as we can. You know, we have a, a preseason uh, we have, you know, we're in the weight room. Um, we're strength certified. So we get to be around them. Um, you know, the, the assistants are doing study hall. I lean on my guys a ton. Uh, I mean, Dave Maturo has been with me now six years. He, he's he's a stud. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm so lucky to have him. And I think our players are, I know our players are too. And we talk about this a lot. So when you look at the leadership challenge, okay, um, you're going to be good in some areas. All of us have certain strengths in some areas and maybe not so strong in some other areas. Well, like mine are maybe great at inspiring to share vision all the way. And challenge the process all right and I'm, I'm urgent and i'm impatient sometimes but i'm not great uh what i need to keep working on is encouraging the heart and enable others like dave is a phenomenal encourage the heart mm-hmm. so he has really um as a staff we complement each other well like dave has a part in all of the success that we've ever had and i'm you know i'm remiss like thankfully i got a chance like sometimes i forget to brag on him or talk about him it's like take it for granted uh how good he is with our guys um, I mean, our guys like trust him like implicitly. And so mm-hmm. he can bring some things to me too and, and help with that. Or he just takes care of it before it even like gets to this point. Like he's, you know, he's a big brother to them. Um, so he, he does a lot shooting. And we asked him, I think it's just invest in that time. You know, he worked with Shaka Smart where it's mm-hmm. like, you just make sure that you're, that you're sitting down, breaking bread with them. You know, we have guys to the house a bunch, um, both as a team, as individuals. So those impromptu, hey, let's go grab, let's go grab some lunch. Um, you know, we're fortunate that we're able to do that and meet those guys over there and and do some of that. We have a leadership academy. Um, 
Buzz has been been on me about this too. Uh, he thinks we do a great job, but he wants to be even more intentional. So it's like, is it you know, just we, with your team leadership Academy? Just with our team. Okay. And so what we're doing now is, um, and this is pandemic driven too, but we do a Sunday zoom with our leadership Academy. We call it, it's seven players and two coaches. Are these and, uh, the seven players? Are they, they just, are they the ones that decided they wanted to be a part of it or were they chosen in some way? I'll tell you how we did it. I, I offered it to everyone. I said, uh, who wants to be involved in our leadership? Academy. It will require a one to two hour commitment per week. Uh, I think it'd be great. Let me know if you're interested. So how about this? We had five guys show, show interest. No, no, it's probably six. Two of them. I felt like maybe weren't ready. Maybe there was one or two that's, you know, maybe this isn't the year for them. Um, and, and I didn't want the whole team to be in there. And then two guys, we had to recruit to it. Two guys that I think would be awesome that maybe we're like, well, my plate is already full academically. I'm a freshman, um, but, but I'm thinking, you know, we, you will benefit from being in here and our whole team will benefit from you being in here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after some, uh, some talks, we convinced them, right. It's like recruiting for that too. Yeah. Uh, getting guys to have the right heart uh, to, to join those calls. Cause if you do it half-heartedly, you're not going to get a lot out of it. Right. So I think we had those conversations. And so, yeah, every Sunday we've had different topics um, you know, what are some of the topics? What do they range from? Okay. So the last one was, uh, we gave them the article letter to a Birmingham jail. Not sure if you've read it, but, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. we had them read that and we're going to talk through that. So it's, you know, it could be totally non-basketball related, um, but just connecting in another area. Um, Jackets family, something we finish every huddle with. we tell them, uh, so we do some breakout rooms in there too. So let's break out. Let's talk about what Jackets family means to you. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had one where go study a leader uh, that you that you think either that you admire or maybe that your style is similar to and uh, come back and talk about that. Okay. So you talk about Jackets family. Um, what one of the things I, I've been doing with teams lately is, um, you know, when someone sees RMC basketball on a jersey when you're out in town, uh, that means something to them. Um, whether you're intentional about it or not, what are you, what do you hope it means to people? You, you've been intentional about your culture, your environment, the young men that you're, you're, you're raising over the last few years of being here and of making, what do you want it to mean to people? Yeah. And, and this is like, it's a kind of an opportunity to, to even weave the core values in there, Bobby, mm -hmm. because it's like a group that really cares about each other and about winning. That's where the tradition comes in. High standards come in. Um, you know, this used to be a division two program that uh, just has had phenomenal success, you know, and now in D3, we've got the seventh most wins. So they're used to, to winning, but how do you do that? Well, it's by getting high character guys that can play and that have high standards and that care about each other. So we're getting great teammates in that too. Um, competitiveness. I think Jackie's family is about those high standards and competing with your brother, iron sharpens iron. This is a place where, you know, if you're about, uh, stats. If you're about, Hey, I want to go there so I can average 20 a game, then this is not the place. You know, we, we like to think of it as a, you know, a place like, like you're going to have an opportunity to be in a winning environment, get championship DNA that can serve you the rest of your life. Um, but it might not be about you being a first team all leaguer. It might not. I mean, we're going to have those guys. Um, but I think I would say our best guys, they continue to get better while they're here. So that's the other thing is there are certain guys, there's a lot of good players out there, but if we're sensing that a guy um, 
might might think he's doing us a favor by being here or that he's not going to work. Um, you, you can make some mistakes when that guy is your best player mm-hmm. and, and you have them. So we've been fortunate. Like our best guys are the guys that are last to leave the gym. Uh, I mean, it's phenomenal. And it's like it just it, it raises the bar for everybody else. Um, and like I've mentioned, the coaches before me, Nathan Davis, Mike Rhodes, two huge mentors of mine that I can continue to lean on guys that pour into me, both those guys have talked to our teams. Um, and it's like, so you don't want to let the previous group down. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jackets family is, is, I mean, those guys, I mean, we had John Noel come speak to our team. Like there's not a guy, I don't think in this alumni network, and maybe this is true for everywhere, but there's not a guy I can't pick up the phone and, and ask something of that, that wouldn't say yes to it. I mean, I strongly feel that. It's not true of everywhere. It's true of, of a lot of programs that, that, that build the family. And um, one thing that I've been pleasantly surprised by in doing the work that I do is it's not just programs that are successful. It's programs that want to be successful, but obviously not every, the numbers are what they are. Not every program can be uh, wins, losses, successful. And so I've, I've worked with a number of teams that, that don't win a lot of games, but they have an alumni network. They can pick up the phone and call. They have that tradition, but it's, it's because they create, they create that as, as a staff. It certainly helps to win. Um, people are, are, you know, we love the memory of a successful team because it was a fun time in our life. Um, but it's not necessary from what I've experienced. Um, what are your core values, by the way? I, I'm sure you just said them, but what are they so I can get them, get them down? Care, commit, compete, and attitude. C-C-C-A. And, um, you know, when we're at our best, our entire program knows them. It's been funny. Like, I, I love asking the guys you know, Hey, remind me of our core values again. And, you know, uh, when we're at our best, everybody can rattle them off. Uh, we use them at camp too, Bobby. So if we have a four day camp. We do two of them in the summer and, and that'll be the theme of the day. So it's like, you, know, you got a hundred campers and you got 10 teams and it's like, Hey, we're giving out a prize for the camper that shows the most care today. Mm-hmm. And then that's another way to just, you know, you try to emphasize it. We, we, we'll do the video, you know, Hey, this is, this is where we show competitiveness you know our compete uh value but yeah you got to constantly be identifying one of our leadership uh, meetings was talk about how our core values show up in our program give us some stories stories bring things to life bring those words to life Mm -hmm. you know like and i've heard you say are are they are they just on the wall we do have them hanging in our locker room but as much reading and, and as uh you know as we've done um I'm always fearful that they are just words on the wall. So we, we strive to make sure that they, we're embodying those. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, they can be on the wall, uh, <laughs> but it's, I always asked, are they just on the wall or are you living them? And that's my next question would be how you live in them. You answered it in terms of, you know, obviously you said celebrating it. People, we, we, you respond to what we celebrate. There's so many programs that'll say, you know, we, we care. We, one of our core values is caring yet all their awards and accolades. And the only time coach gives you a pat on the back is when you're doing something competitive. And it's like, well, no, that's your core value. That's what shows up. And so you've got to bring attention to it, celebrate it and keep reflecting on it. Like you just said, asking your players, how are these, how are these showing up right now? Let's tell some stories. And that also affirms the players that we are living these. Um, so that's, that's awesome. Um, last question on basketball is, uh, um, 
So, so these are your core values is how you live. We touched on this a little bit earlier when you talked about casting a wide net, but talk a little bit about your recruiting process in terms of ensuring that you're bringing on a player that is a right fit for, for Jackets family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That, Cause this is uh, this is the lifeblood. And um, I know you're, you're familiar with Jim Collins work in the mm-hmm. flywheel effect. Yep. And so I don't know if you've read that little pamphlet, the flywheel effect. This is maybe all we, we talk about this later. Yeah. But, um, this is one of the, the more phenomenal thing. I would recommend it to anybody listening. Go buy the flywheel effect. It's a 40 page thing that just dives into different flywheels for various companies. Okay. And remember like the flywheel is it's that big, big, huge thing that takes a lot of effort and you can't really push it by yourself, but once it gets momentum, you know, if five or 10 or 15 people are pushing it, um, once you get it rolling, now it's really hard to stop. You know, if, if everybody's pushing with two hands, two feet, then you can get this thing like it's rolling downhill. So anyways, to get back to the flywheel, we've got a flywheel in our program and attracting our kind of OKGs, our kind of guys is one of those four aspects of the flywheel. All right. So in other words, like at least 25% of my time, better be intentional uh, and invested in that area. So we do spend a lot of time on um, not just evaluating guys physically, but there's a system for our phone calls. You know, there's a system uh, when we, we really want to bring guys to campus and let them interact with our guys. And we, we really trust our guys to see what they think of, of people too. Um, you know, having them ask good questions. Uh, hopefully they can play on the court with our guys. Um, and just spend that time. You know, we always say like, it, we're, we're both dating here. You're seeing if we're right for you. We're seeing if you're right for us. Um, how do we do it? Like some of that's a, a field thing, but you, you want to, you want to get guys like what we try to say is, Hey, if you don't love basketball and you don't love competition, this is not the right place for you. Well, mm-hmm. every high school guy seems to think they love basketball. And I can tell you, <laughs> they do not. Um, but it's like, everyone knows how to do well in an interview. And I think kids, like I've seen this, kids are much better at answering questions the right way. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm really trying to ask better questions, maybe more questions. Uh, we try to pay attention to the answers that guys are giving us. And um, that, that can be the separated. Um, and I, I'll say this too, like just being able to see guys live, like, you know, cause in recruiting, you're going to make some mistakes and you're going to get lucky. It's an inexact science because you're dealing with people and, and human and emotion. Um, but seeing them live and seeing them interact, not just with their AAU group, but then with their high school group, um, you know, every no, every high school coach, they don't want to hurt their guy either. So they're going right. to say some good things. They're going to talk about the positives. You got you to gotta really ask some good questions and, and try to get the truth from people because you want them to be successful when they get to you. Otherwise, that, that high school is not going to send you a player down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if I got to the meat of that question in terms of, um, you know, maybe the characteristics, but I think it, it comes down to, you know, being a great teammate, being a worker, you know, someone that's going to buy in and then embodying those core values. Like, do you care about your teammates? Do you care about development? If you care deeply about those things, this is a great place. If you love hoops or competition or personal growth, man, there's not a better place. But if Mm -hmm. you're not sure about any of those things, like if you just like, coach, just let me play ball. This is not a good place. You know, um, that that's what I would say, because I, I get the most out of guys that get excited about learning and growing personal growth and development. Doesn't mean you have to read books right, right when you get here, you know, we'll, we'll work towards that. Um, yeah. 
because that's not for everybody too. Everybody's got different styles. Yeah. But I think that's a great answer in terms of, you know, one of the reasons I started doing this podcast is because, you know, I, I was challenged to come up with more content with the work that I do. And I really struggle with top 10 lists, right? A, an email that you get saying, here's the top 10 questions you need to ask during your recruitment process. And I struggle with it because all the great coaches I talk to have an answer like yours, where it's like, you know what? It's a feel thing. It's an organic thing. It's, it's getting to know people. And it's like this, we're in the people business. And so you can't always make it a top 10 list. And, and, and so you've got your core values you're looking for and you're upfront and honest about if you love growth development, if you love truth over harmony, if you're excited about being challenged, you're going to thrive here. If you don't love those things, you're not going to thrive here. And so even if you, like you said, you make some mistakes and maybe the player made a mistake. They thought they loved basketball. They thought they loved challenge, but they'd never really been challenged. And, uh, and or they, they love the truth when it serves them. And so then all of a sudden they're being challenged at Randolph Macon and they don't like it. And I assume you can have a pretty honest conversation of you knew what you were getting into to. This is what we talked about uh, when when we when we recruited you and when, when you were recruiting us, you know, because it, it does go both ways. So I think no, I think that's a great answer. Bobby, before you get into like one, one thing I wanted to say too, you just sparked this like so think about our core values. And I'm thinking about when you came and spoke to our team and you, you've done it a couple of times. But the one time, like I think you got in at nine o'clock, we met, we got you some dinner. Um, you know, and then like you're up at 6 a.m. or you're setting up the room at 5 a.m. Yeah. And like talk about commitment. Like you were committed to our group. Not only that, but the investment that you have for that group. Then you don't have to do this. But, you know, we're talking at the end of the season. I remember the email that you sent, the encouragement mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you sent to our guys with individual advice for each guy. I mean, there's the care piece. Like you didn't just come work with the guy like you went above and beyond there's three dollars work for two dollar pay mm -hmm. and our guys still talk about you know bobby audley um buzz still talks about and i gotta talk to bobby like we've talked about bringing you on the leadership academy it just hasn't worked out yet yeah, but that, yeah. that's gonna be something that we bring bring you in for um just because your your energy enthusiasm care all that stuff shows up very quickly that's why you and i have connected because uh, mm. i always feel like shoot man I'm, I'm on this podcast so i can learn from you too um, yeah. I, I had a question for you too, if I can reverse it. Yeah, yeah go ahead. It, it's about, so this better questions get better answers. What's some of your approach to questions? Do you write those out? You're doing for, podcasts now, you're interviewing some big time people. Yeah. Like how, how, what's your preparation been like going into some of this? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I, I'm very curious naturally. And so this podcast grew out of me having a lot of really good phone conversations with people like you, where I felt like I got a lot of good nuggets just asking the questions that I was curious about. So, so I typically don't, I didn't write any questions down for this. Um, I'm sure there's some listeners that I've gotten feedback. People would prefer consistent questions every episode. They prefer like a rapid fire round. And I just don't care for that. Um, I love you know, I'll, I'll write down something that sparks me while you're talking about recruiting or your core values or the quadrant. And I think some of our tangents that we get on provide so much more value than anything we plan on. Mm -hmm. um, now, that being said, uh, I'm interviewing Anson Dorrance on Tuesday and he's got four books out there. I, I've read 
two of them. Uh, I'm going to make sure I grab the other two. So I know what's going on. Cause one of my advice for people doing the 50 cups of coffee challenge, just in their own right is consume everything this person has available online. I'll get questions from people saying, you know, especially looking for a mentor and I want to reach out to so-and-so, how do you recommend I reach out to them? I'm like, well, have you read everything they put out there? Have you, if they have a podcast, have you listened to absolutely every episode? Because uh, if you're going to start asking this person for their advice, then don't waste their time. You know, if they've already answered your question in a separate venue, then, then do that. So with Anson Dorrance, like typically I'll start these by saying, let's talk about your journey, how you got into coaching for the first third. I'm not going to do that with him because it's a waste of our time. He's covered that in, in his book, The Man Watching. So, or he didn't even write it, but it was covered. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'll, I'll do some of that, but, um, but it really is, you know, that's why I love your answer of it's a feel thing with your players because for me, it's, it's constantly a feel thing in terms of what questions I'm asking you as a guest. It's a pretty broad topic. Let's talk about your team culture. And I'm learning, you know, this is, I, I should be having these phone calls anyways to improve my work as a team culture trainer. So it's the questions I'd want to ask anyways. Yeah. What well, your curiosity is, is great. It comes through. And then also, your ability to connect your past experiences or interviews to answers. Um, you, you've always been a great connector in that way. I got, I got another question about the 50 cups. Yeah. So I want to be intentional about the 50 cups. Now, sometimes I like to list or, you know, write stuff down. So I like to, I'd love to reflect and say, all right, at the end of 2021, these were my 50 cups of coffee. So, you know, I'll build my list. Yeah. But does it count if it's someone like, that, that you know super well or how 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 would you maybe approach it with yeah. that in mind yeah no 100 it's it's one of the number one questions i get and i say yes to every whatever question you have regarding 50 cups of coffee because it's a personal challenge and um 50 the number 50 came out of 52 weeks in a year so it's not necessarily about quantity it's about consistency and and so that being said i count multiple meetings. You know, if I have coffee or lunch or a phone call with my brother uh, once a month, that's 12 of my 50 cups of coffee because each of those meetings is deepening our relationship. The goal is deeper and more genuine relationships. So to have 50 conversations with 50 different people, that was the TEDx talk. Um, If I could do the TEDx talk again, the nature of TEDx talks is you can't do them again. (laughs) It lives forever. Um, I would have changed that. What I said in that was it's about 50 different people. I would have changed it to say, I have since evolved the, the, the challenge to say, you know what? It's just about, am I intentional about connection? Once a month with my brother, that's 12 out of 50. And that's going to deepen our relationship. If, if I'm a young professional, uh, I worked with um, a bank uh, based out of New York that wanted to adopt this in their bank to help the young professionals connect with senior executives and vice versa. And so they were only, they would connect one member, like one young professional with one senior executive. And their goal was to meet every month. And they asked me that they're like, does this count? And I was like, yeah, because that, that a friendship is going to grow out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, If you and I have talked two, three times in the last three months, I'll count that as three different times. So it's all about that intentionality for me personally. um, I do carve out say 
about 20 that I would like to be new people that I'm simply having a conversation with. And, and because 50 cups of coffee has become a part of my brand and, and who I am, it makes a lot easier. Uh, I talk to people all the time and they're like, so what's the purpose of this conversation? And I explain 50 cups. And they're like, yeah, it's great. And, uh, and it, that has helped me connect with a lot of really, really cool people that I just want to talk to. And, and maybe a relationship comes from that. Maybe it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, my relationship with Harry Swain with the Ravens started with me just wanting to, to pick his brain. Um, and it's evolved into us talking regularly. Mm-hmm. Love it. I would say, what, what message do you have? This is my last question for you. Yeah. What message do you have for our guys? Would you say you're in a pandemic? Um, what, what would you kind of boil down if you were in front of a team uh, or let's say our team where, you know, of course, every day is a gift. Don't take anything mm-hmm. for granted, all those things. But how, how, how would you talk about it? Um, we do not know. It, it used to be cliche to say tomorrow is never promised. Now it's the reality of sports, especially college sports. Um, you could have, you know, six games on the calendar next week and, and you could get contact traced from, from a roommate who's not involved with the basketball team. And I'm not even trying to be specific, <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden your season is, is, is in the flux. And so to use the next game as your motivation to practice and train, it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And so your motivation to practice and train and get better has to be just a, a, a commitment that this is what I do. This is how I live my life. This is what I represent. I, if someone hears my name, I represent competition. I represent caring. I represent attitude. I represent showing up. I don't tolerate laziness. I don't tolerate excuses. I don't tolerate taking a a day off. Like there's nothing wrong with a day off, but you know what I mean? And, and, and that's just how I show up. That's just the way things are. I think of a guy like buzz and I think he has evolved into that type of person. I think when I met him, he was that and I'm, I'm guessing and assuming. So buzz, if you're listening, call me up and correct me if I'm wrong. And, uh, but, but I met a guy who, who did those things, like you said, that mama mentality, um, to be the best. And, and now I see a guy who's doing those things just because that's the way he lives his life. And just because that's the way he does things. And, you know, I asked you to start this podcast. Why are you so committed to personal growth? And I've gotten that question before too. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. Uh, it's just the way I am. Um, I don't know if it was the way I was wired or, or developed or evolved, but it's just what I am. So that's, that's been my message to teams. That would be my message to your team is commit to competing every day to get better and to grow. And that's it. Um, when you get a chance, you don't know. Heck, you're so strange it's not out of the question that you could get a text right now being like, Hey coach, uh, our team's in town. You guys want to play tomorrow, you know? And, uh, uh, and all of a sudden you're playing and you got to be ready to go at a moment's notice. Yeah. So be ready to go. I love it. Two of our four values in there. Commit to compete. I love it. Yeah. Good, good, good. Oh, that's a good question. Um, so my last question for you is, uh, do you have a 50 cups of coffee story and I'll tee it up. Uh, is, is as we've talked about, uh, 50 cups of coffee's 
it's just about connection, sitting down, grabbing coffee, uh, conversation with people. Uh, I have experienced even prior to coming up with this challenge, so many moments where it's like, you know, I'm currently coaching for a elite high school program this spring that I'm really excited about. And if you were to ask me how I got this job, it goes back two years to someone in the lacrosse community that I wanted to connect with and learn more from. And I reached out and said, can we grab coffee? And, uh, and he has then, you know, connected me to, to all these people down the line. So um, I know you probably got a lot in your, in your world, your life, but if you could think of what's a 50 cups of coffee story that's made an impact on you. Yeah. Well, I, I guess it, it, we've already touched on the, the Jeff Neubauer story um, that helped help me get to West Virginia and then go, going with him to Eastern Kentucky. But then when I was at Eastern Kentucky, um, I was able to meet JD Byers, who was an assistant at Randolph Macon. And I had known of him because um, he was a big time player in, in Maryland, uh, Maryland High School. And uh, so he's an assistant here to Mike Rhodes and then Nathan Davis. Um, and we, we just, we, we talked, we hit it off, we connected. I remember one thing that I, I really was impressed with is we went to a Final Four and we got a chance to play basketball, uh, like pick up basketball. So there's a bunch of coaches down there playing. And he and Jamal Brunt were, were really tight. I, I'll never forget, like, man, these guys are laughing and joking. And um, they were Randolph making guys. Um, they didn't even play together, but they had this, like Jamal played at Randolph making for Rhodes. And then Byers plays elsewhere, but was an assistant at making. So it was, I was just blown away by their connection. And there's that Jackets family piece. And mm -hmm. it's like, you're kind of attracted to it. So anyways, JD Byers and I were able to connect. Um, now I don't know that I was uh, drinking coffee with them necessarily, but it started that conversation where we, I was intentional about staying in touch with a guy that I really admired. And I had made a call to him on the day that he took uh, an assistant job at St. Francis. So it was like, you know, just calling to, to check in and talk about some, some, maybe some recruits and things like that. Cause we had been intentional and consistent in our communication. And uh, I was like, Hey, Josh, I know you've talked about, you know, there's certain V3 job that you might take. Like this is the one that you might take. I, I just got a job opportunity. I'm leaving. Uh, would you be interested in this one? And it was like, absolutely. I don't know Nathan Davis. Like I didn't know Nathan at all. And um, JD's like, well, you know, I'll, I'll put in a good word for you and we'll see what happens. And so I'm very thankful and lucky and blessed and all those things that uh, through that uh, connection that I had with JD, that Nathan then offered me the interview and, and thank thankfully gave me the opportunity to come be his assistant because obviously I wouldn't, wouldn't be here um, as the head coach. I wouldn't have had that chance at Salisbury. Uh, who knows? I might still be the division one assistant or, or mm -hmm. on the street somewhere. Um, <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I'm just super grateful because, and, and for Nathan to take a, a chance on a stranger, um, someone that he did not know, but he trusted his network guy that worked for him. Uh, he and Rhodes are close. I know Rhodes vouched for me as in this, you know, uh, as someone that would be a worker um, and, and wasn't taking the job to just kind of, I don't know, further his career. It was like, no, he's going to work and he's going to be about the right things and is, uh, which fit the Jackets family. So mm -hmm. to have those guys vouching, um, I guess J.D. Byers would be my 50 cups of coffee story. I love it. And what I love about it is, as you said, you know, you, you said he's taking a chance on a stranger. But why I love that, that you pointed that out is there's so many of these connections are trusting 
people are trusting your energy. They're trusting how you show up. They're trusting their other friends and connections when they say, Hey, I've met this guy, Josh coached with him a bit. Seems like the real deal. What do you think about him? They're asking those questions. Believe If you don't think they're, they're asking their network before people recommend you for a job, you're naive. And, and so, you know, too often, I think people will, uh, uh, belittle a, con- a connection or conversation thinking, wow, this isn't going to go anywhere because I don't really know this person. It's like, no, the smallest connection can lead to that next opportunity if people trust you and 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 you have a reputation uh, that precedes you uh, when you interact with them. So that's a perfect, perfect story. I love it. Yeah, appreciate it. Awesome. Love it, man. Josh, thanks for doing this, man. It was awesome, Bobby. Thanks for having me. And, uh, Have a great weekend. Talk soon. There you have it. A great friend of mine, a mentor, a colleague, an individual I am am lucky and blessed to know and be connected with and have the opportunity to work with his teams at Salisbury and at Randolph-Macon. Just just, uh, one of my favorite people in the world. And I'm I'm, uh, so happy uh, to be able to share him with you on this podcast. He and I have had many, many, many cups of coffee going back to before I even started this 50 Cups of Coffee Challenge. And so it was a really special moment for me to have him on this 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. If you are enjoying the show, please take one minute right now to subscribe wherever you are listening. If you subscribe, you immediately get notifications when new shows are launched. If you follow me on social media, you may have noticed that I post a lot less than I used to. And a big reason for that is I have found through surveys and through following the show that most people are subscribed to the show. So they just get notified as soon as an episode is launched. And that's a lot easier for me. I'll be honest, it's spring, it's lacrosse season. I got a lot going on, uh, you know, kind of balancing programs and other work and, and, and lacrosse season. So social media is not my number one priority. If you would like to be alerted when these episodes drop, please subscribe where you're listening and you'll be automatically alerted. Right after you subscribe, go ahead, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. This helps us tremendously. I read each review we get. I love reading them, and it's so fun to see the ratings come in. Rating and a short review, huge way to help us out. If I could help you or your team in any way, head on over to bobbyaudley.com and shoot me a message. We help teams build winning cultures. 50 Cups of Coffee with Bobby Audley is a production of bobbyaudley.com. Head on over there to watch the 50 Cups of Coffee TEDx Talk listen to past episodes of the show, and learn how I could help your team or organization. Our theme music and art is by Matisse Soy. Until next time, stay connected.